We're talking about worship today. And, and some people say that we were made to worship. Other people say we were made for worship. Uh, but we were actually born worshipers. Born worshipers. That everyone everywhere is continually worshiping. And we are either going to worship God or his creation. And one writer that I was reading recently was bringing out that in ancient cultures, social life revolved around uh, sanctuaries and temples and stadiums. And that there were various gods and goddesses that were worshipped as people gave their time and their talent and their their treasures and uh, as sacrifices in adoration to these false gods. And even the buildings they built were, were an act of worship to their deity. Uh, one example, the temples at uh, Nemea, Olympia, and Delphi, Shmia, include stadiums, which now have been replaced with soccer fields, baseball parks, football stadiums, and basketball arenas where pagan fans dress up like they always have, as birds and animals to cheer on their favorite team as they try to score points. You can make a lot of examples like that if you look at, at the, the ancient world and see how they worship, and then you can make a connection to ours. Little has changed over the years. Uh, I want you to know, too, that in the next two weeks, I plan to address the topic of worship. Um, in two weeks, I'll be gone on May 2nd to speak at the men's retreat of my former church, Voyager's Bible Church. After that, we'll be getting back into the Gospel of Matthew. So we will return, the Lord willing, to Matthew, which we've left for uh, about a month now. But for the next two weeks, I'm going to ask and answer two foundational questions. Number one, which we'll address today, is what is worship? And then next week, we'll look at what is, what is often called corporate worship, or what do we do when the church gathers. Um, Today, we're primarily going to look at Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7. We're going to read the entire psalm. It's not very long, but Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and, they, and, and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, that the public reading of Scripture is something that you delight in and something that you instruct us to do. And so thank you for that privilege that we had today of doing something biblical and something right. And thank you, Lord, that we could sing praises to you and pray even right this moment and, and now open up your word and, and consider your truth. 
Thank you, Lord, for how good you are. Thank you, Lord, that we can worship and bow down, that we can kneel before you as our maker. Thank you, Lord, that you are our God and that we are your people. And Lord, we pray today that you would do in us what you desire. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, what is worship? What is worship? You probably know the answer. I am speaking to the home team here today. Now, there are some among us who are still uh, contemplating the claims of Christ, exploring the facts of the gospel. There are, by the way, some among us who keep rejecting the gospel. And I want you to know that in that, in that case, if that is you, we will continue to lovingly, consistently, and faithfully call you to faith and repentance. That's the most loving thing we can do if you do not know Jesus. But most of you here today are Jesus-loving, Bible-reading, gospel-sharing people who really want to worship God with all your life. So it should be no problem then, as we talk about worship, that we should all agree, right? 100%. Wrong. Worship is one of those subjects that everybody knows what it is, but the harder you try to define it or to, to talk about it, the muddier the water gets. Is it just music or, or is it something more? My prayer in these next two weeks is that God will reform our thinking by His Word, that He will open up our eyes to the reality of worship, that He will open our minds up to the reasons for it and the results of it, not just in our gatherings, but all through the day, all week long. And I pray that he will give us a, a, a fuller grasp of what it means to worship him. So we're going to look at three things today, the reality of worship, the reason for it, and the results. So let's first look at the reality of worship. What is it? What is worship? You can come up with your own definition. You may want to write that down. But our mission statement as a church says... First and foremost, we exist to worship God. It's right there on the front of your bulletin. Check it out. I'm not lying. It's there. That's the first thing we say we're all about. And if we can't get that one clear, everything else is going to be confused. So our mission says we exist to worship God and build up believers and reach people for Christ. So we better make sure we understand what it means to worship God, right? So let's look at Psalm 95. We're really going to look at the two verses here in verses 6 and 7. What you have here, oh come, let us worship, let us bow down, let us kneel before God, who is our maker, who is our God, who is the Lord. There is this invitation. There is this encouragement to act. See, we're, we're born worshipers, but we're not born directed towards God. Our hearts, as John Calvin said, are idol factories. We can make an idol out of anything. There's this invitation, though, and we, when we think about worship, though, if, if you're like me, you usually think of it in terms of like what we're doing today. Worship through singing. Worship through giving. Worship through prayer. Worship through the Word. Great things. Worship through the Lord's table. 
which we'll celebrate today. Unless Jesus comes back before we get there. So the Lord willing, we will celebrate the Lord's table. But is that all it is? Is that all worship is? We worship when we come together, but worship is more than what we do in our gatherings. In fact, when you look at the Bible words that are translated worship, they mean much more than what we usually mean when we say worship. Let's look at a couple of these words. Now, in this, in this first verse, in verse 6, you've got the word worship, bow down, and kneel, which are all very similar words, all meaning something similar, but are completely different words in Hebrew. Three completely different words, meaning something similar, but not all the same thing. So let's look at them. First of all, the word worship. Now, the Hebrew word there is, uh, means to prostrate yourself, to bow down. It's shaka is the word. It, it means to crouch low, literally to fall down. And it, 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 it's, it's signifying um, making a humble request is, is the idea. Uh, it was the action of bowing down to give honor to someone who was superior to you. You see it often in the Bible, this very same word being used. Um, in different settings, not of worshiping God, though. Uh, Joseph, in his dream, in Genesis chapter 37, he saw his sheaves, his brother's sheaves, bowing down to his sheaf, and, and um, that, was, that was signifying that they would be bowing down to him, making requests, and, and fast forward, and they were making requests for food, and to keep them alive, and to spare them. Um, Ruth bowed down to Boaz, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 10. David bowed down to Saul because you would bow down before a king. Now, we don't know how to do that because we don't have a king in America yet, right? Uh, we have no king, president. Um, but it was an act of honor done when making requests. So you're going to a superior. It's like kids who you go to your mom and dad and you ask them for a cookie, and you know you're asking a superior who bought the cookie or made the cookie if you could have it, right? So you're going to them and making a request. Um, now, those who practice this worship would often fall down on the ground uh, on their face, with their face to the ground, and they would kiss the ground. Or they would fall on their knees and bow their forehead to the ground. Very Middle Eastern type of thing to do, right? But it was a way of showing submission. It was a way of showing honor to who you were approaching. It was the idea of yielding to a greater power. Now, when it applied to God, it, it basically stood for honoring God with prayers, coming to Him and making requests. And if you think about it, when you pray, now sometimes we say, well, our prayers are, are selfish. But think about this. When you go to God in prayer, you are acknowledging that He can meet the need and you can't. You're acknowledging His superiority. It's a good thing. We do have to get uh, our prayers straightened out sometimes, right? But it's a good thing that we go to Him in prayer. We honor Him as we go to Him in prayer. We're saying, you are greater than me and I am dependent upon you. Now, that's the, the word worship. Come, let us worship. It's invitation. Then it says, come, let us worship and bow down. Easy one to figure out. It, it means exactly what it says. Okay? It doesn't mean something secret here. It's, it means to bow down. It means to bend your knees and kneel. Bow down. 
It's a way of making yourself vulnerable. A, a, uh, a conquered army would bow down to those who conquered them. It's the idea of showing that you are weaker. It was a position of humility, and it was showing a humble attitude. So worship, the idea of making a request to a superior. Bow down, the idea of um, giving, showing a humble attitude. Then you've got the word kneel. That means what it says as well, but it's a different word. Uh, that's the word barak, and it means to bend your knee, to bow, and it, it's the idea of praising another. It's the idea of asking for a blessing even. Now there was a close connection in the, in the Old Testament between um, kneeling down and being blessed and receiving a blessing when you would kneel down. So those are the three words that we see right here in this one verse. They're not the only words in the Bible for worship, but they are, uh, they are very good representations of the, um, the uh, idea uh, that is put forth. But I want to give you three definitions of worship today. Okay, Three definitions of what it is. And I'm going to give one definition for those of you who like things just really simple. Okay, just give me a word or two. I'll give you a two-word definition of worship, okay? I'm also going to give a definition of worship to those who really like to think it through and get all detailed and, and the thinkers, okay? And, and then I'm going to give a third definition for, for more of the feelers amongst us that they need something kind of more emotionally uh, connected. And so I'll give you one of those as well, okay? So we'll get three of those. First one is the simple. Let's start with the simple version, okay? Simple version. Here it is. Ready? You ready? Okay. (laughs) Worship is honoring God. That's it. Worship is honoring God. You put together those three words we just looked at from Psalm 95 and verse 6, and it gives the idea of honoring God by submitting to Him humbly and looking to Him to meet your needs. Honoring God. See, there's this urgency in this call to worship. Come. Let us worship. It's a privilege to do so. It's, it's a duty to do so. It is an awesome undertaking. It is not trivial. It is not frivolous. It is not light. It is not haphazard. It is not casual. It's weighty. It's important. It's necessary. Come, let us worship God. Worship is the most important and most continuous activity that we do in our lives, that human beings engage in. The Westminster Confession begins like this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. That worship is honoring God and in that we show a delight in Him. It is actively honoring God. It's an action. Honoring one who is vastly superior to us in every way. Honoring God. Here's your thinker version. Get your pens ready. Worship is the proper response of mankind to God in every area of life through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit based on who He is and what He does as revealed in His Word. So there are boundaries to this. The proper response of mankind to God in every area of life through Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, based on who He is and what He does as revealed in His Word. 
John Stott said this, all true worship is a response to the self-revelation of God in Christ and Scripture and arises from our reflection on who he is and what he has done. The worship of God is evoked, informed, and inspired by the vision of God. The true knowledge of God will always lead us to worship. A true knowledge of God will always lead us to worship. Mark Driscoll says that worship is a biblically faithful understanding of God combined with a biblically faithful response to him. You can find out the opposite of worship, which is idolatry, by turning that definition on its ear. And it goes like this. Idolatry is a biblically unfaithful understanding of God combined with a biblically unfaithful response to him. Proper response to God is to honor him as our creator, as our maker, as our provider, far bigger and far greater than us. He made everything. He holds everything together. And that has very important implications for us. If worship is a proper response to God, then we will not be focused on whether we like or enjoy or feel good about what the church does when it gathers. We won't be grading it. Takes all the pressure off me, right? Don't have to, now you can't grade my sermon today. Can't do it. See? Can't grade the worship. I can't do it today. But see, if worship is a proper response to God, we're not going to be focused on those things. If we're focused on those things, we're not properly responding to God. We're, we could be worshiping worship. Now, it doesn't mean we can't evaluate things. But the thing is, is we are naturally born worshipers. Naturally born worshipers. We will worship. The question is, what are we going to worship? God or his creation? See, worship never ceases. Worship is something that is either going to be focused on the creator or his, his creation. And the reason it matters so much is because God hates idolatry. And that all of life is really ceaseless worship. So the question for us is, am I worshiping God or someone or something else? Here's the feeler version. By the way, if you get all three, if, you, if you're a you know, very well-rounded person, you'll get all three of these. Um, feeler version. Worship is the soul's humble response to the love of God in Christ. The soul's humble response to the love of God in Christ. See, worship is all of life, and so worship should permeate all of our life, and worship does permeate all of our life. But worship of God ought to be the permeating influence. That our desire should be people who are loving God with everything we've got. That it should go beyond the enthusiasm that we have at an Angels game or a Lakers game or, or a Kings game or whatever. Doesn't mean we have to be shouting all the time. Doesn't mean that we have to be you know, eating popcorn while we do it. It, it, it means that we ought to have our, our hearts and our souls and our minds and our whole being wrapped up in being directed towards God. Colossians 3 and verse 17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 
See, we're to be worshiping God moment by moment as we go about our daily lives, which is not an easy task. That's why I believe that uh, the, the Bible has to, to tell us to do it. Come, let us worship God and not all the other things that we put our attentions upon. What does it look like? In, in my life, much of my worship is, is done in, in alone time. Alone time. And when only God and me see. When I can be silent. When I can have no distractions except what I allow in, like the cell phone, the landline, and other things. But much is also as I live throughout the day. I love the way Thomas Kelly put it in his book, A Testament of Devotion. He said, walk and talk and work and laugh with your friends. But behind the scenes, keep up the life of simple prayer and inward worship. You can be doing that behind the scenes as you're cutting the lawn, as you're doing the laundry, as you're dealing with a, a, a struggling family member, as you're, as you're dealing with a, a, a very emotionally charged situation at work. You can be inwardly keeping up a life of simple prayer and inward worship that is going to flavor your responses in those settings. I like the way that D.A. Carson puts it. This has convicted me all week long. He said this, We cannot imagine that the church gathers for worship on Sunday morning if by this we mean that we engage in something that we have not been engaging in the rest of the week. We cannot imagine that the church gathers for worship on Sunday morning if by this we mean that we engage in something that we have not been engaging in all week long. See, New Covenant worship terminology assumes constant worship. Constant worship. It prescribes constant worship. So going to a church service on a Sunday to do something you haven't been doing all week long it is like this. It's like a man saying to his wife, one day a week, for one hour and ten minutes only, he times it, I love you. I'm going to treat you like a queen. He dotes on her. He, he falls all over himself, doing whatever would please her. And as soon as the alarm goes off, it's back to business as usual, and it's, it's critical and unfeeling and unloving and maybe become, the flip gets switched and he becomes a tyrant. He, he's demanding and unkind and even cruel all week long until about one hour and ten minutes on Sunday. Or like a parent who, who does the same thing only one time per week treat their, treats their child like the gift from God that she or he is. But the other six days and change treats them harshly, critical, unyielding, unfeeling, unaffectionate. We look at that and laugh. We think there's no way. That, that's, just, that's not realistic. Well, that's what it's like when we come to church and do what we haven't been doing all week long. If we only think 
that we worship once a week to get recharged for the coming week. Next week, we're going to look at some common misconceptions of what worship as a corporate body really is. Four in particular. But we'll wait till next week on that. But if we, if we think that we come here just to get recharged to make it through the next week, we have a stunted view of worship. If we engage in something here that we haven't been doing all week, we're in trouble. Because whatever we are doing all week is our real worship. This is fake then. In some sense. Now this can be a reminder. But if it never changes, then this is just for show. See, people who see worship as just what we do when we gather fail to see the bigger picture of what God wants, which is a life fully given over to Him. We call Jesus Savior and Lord. You bow before a Lord. You, you worship before a Lord. You kneel down in your hearts and, 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 and in action um, before a Lord. Things make sense when we see all of life as worship. So here's what happens. We, we, we begin to stop asking what God can do for us. We, we stop coming even on a daily basis or even on a weekly basis and say, God, what do you have for me today? What's on the menu, God? And as if he's like our chef and he just cooks it up for us. No, instead what we do is we start thinking, we start asking God, what do you expect of me? What do you expect of me? What do you want? And what does it look like? What does that look like? It, it looks like doing all you can to draw attention to God. All you can to draw attention to his goodness and his greatness. It looks like doing what he says and avoiding what he says not to do. Doing what he says to do, avoiding what he says not to do. That's, that would, Jesus said, you're my friends if you do what I command. It means loving people. I was challenging a friend of mine the other day to make something right in his life. And as I was doing it, I was thinking to myself, well, you got one of those. I kind of shrugged it off for a few moments and I had to make a, had to make a statement. And I said, you know what? I got one of those too. So let's have a little bet. <laughs> Who can get it done first? No. Um, so, uh, but I dealt with it. It was to a neighbor that I had, I had done an unkind thing to and the neighbor didn't even know I had done it. You know how stealth we can be about those unkind things. I left a note on their car. Oh yeah. Didn't sign. Oh, don't you love the unsigned note? I should know better. I went up to him and said, hey, I'm the one who left the note on your car. He goes, yeah, I'm the one who put it back on, the car, on yours. <laughs> I said, I know. And my, my pride welled up. I didn't want to deal with it. I wanted to say, well, and I said, well, you, you were retaliating against me, weren't you? We've always been friendly to one another. So there was a little bit of, obviously, a little bit of jesting going on with this, a little bit of humor. But I told him, I said, I want to tell you, I'm sorry. And you know what he said? Me too. This Muslim man. I'm sorry too. Let's be good neighbors. But see, was that worship? Worship is all of life. Now, more spe- we got to get more specific. We, we're general right now. We got to get more specific. Okay, what is Christian worship? Because if you think about it, this side of the cross, it is the only worship that is true of God. Christian worship is the only true worship of God. 
New covenant worship. Let me give you six things about new covenant worship. And we'll go quick here. But it is first and foremost God honoring. It's an, it, it's an end in and of itself. It's not a means to get something else. Oh Lord, I'll worship you if you work all those things out that I have. My, my list, I got my list, come on. I'll do this if you do that. It's not what it is. It is an end in itself. And if we go in trying to get something else, we're thinking, hey, things should be working out really well for me this week because I was worshiping really good today. We got a, a warped view of worship. But he blesses us, yes. But we don't primarily come to worship or, or worship God even on a, on, a week, on a daily basis to get, but to give to God. But we do get. Yes, we get. And God, God wants us to delight in him. Yes. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget none of his benefits. But it's God honoring. The next next thing about Christian worship is it's gospel-inspired. The good news about what Jesus Christ has done drives us to worship. Worship Jesus. The good news about what Jesus has done inspires us to worship. It is gospel-inspired. It is Christ-centered. Christ centered. We come to God through Him. Hebrews 13, 15. Let us come to Him. Through Him. Let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. It says it's continual. And it's through Jesus. There is no other way to get to God. He is the only mediator between man and God. Some people say, well, you know, the worship really led me into the presence of God today. Oh, really? I thought there was only one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. Worship is not, singing up here is not a mediator between us and God. Now, by that, you might mean that it enabled you, it, it, maybe it, it, it wiped away a lot of the distractions and helped you see more clearly, but only Jesus is going to lead you to worship God. We've got to get that straight or we're going to have a warped view of worship. We'll have a warped life. It's cross-focused. See, the cross kills us. The cross shows us our desperate need. And we see not just our unworthiness, but also our our total inability to do anything apart from Jesus. I believe it when he said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that? Or do we kind of wink at it and go, he doesn't really mean it. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's, 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 it's cross-focused. And it's word-saturated. Word-saturated. The Bible is our authoritative and sufficient standard for everything relating to life and, and, and belief. And our interactions with the written word of God lead us to worship. If they don't, we're just filling our head with facts. Our interactions with the Word of God ought to lead us to deep, abiding worship, both individually and together. See, God's Word is to have a primary place amongst His people. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul said to Timothy, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture and to exhortation and to teaching. That's why I'm up here doing this. Preach the Word. But see, the God of the Bible must be the focus. He says, I am the Lord. That's my name. I will not give my glory to another. 
Christian worship is also spirit-enabled. Spirit-enabled. See, here's the deal. And we have to get this straight or else we will have a warped view of worship. You cannot worship God apart from the Holy Spirit who only indwells believers. If you don't believe me, read your Bible. <laughs> when, when you have been born again to a living hope through the resurrect faith and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can now worship God truly. You must be a born-again believer in Jesus to truly worship God. You, and here's what happens. You know this. You experience a change in your life when you come to Christ. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit take the place of all the false gods that you previously served. You are new, a new creature. You are transformed at the deepest level of your existence. And you are enabled and empowered by God to live a new life. You have a new identity. You're no longer defined by your old identity. You have a new mind that now enables you to think God's thoughts after Him. Enables you to hunger for God and hunger for His Word. And follow His truth and reject the lies you once believed what born-again believers in Jesus have. If you're not born again, you don't have that. Your emotions are different. You fall back into old patterns, sure, but God has given you new emotions. Now you love God and other people that you once hated. You have new desires to to. Live a life that pleases God. The appetite for what is wrong no longer controls. Where once you couldn't help but go to those things, now you have actually have a, a choice to, to, in the power of the Holy Spirit, go the other way. You become a part of a new community. The household of God, as we talked about last week. The family of God. The body of Christ. Our brothers and sisters. You're the only child? Not anymore. And so then you live by the power of God and are enabled to follow the Holy Spirit's promptings. And all this equals up to a life of worship. You know, in some ways, what you can do is you can put any good thing that God wants you to do in the place of worship God, and it, 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 it means the same thing. Serve God, love God, trust God, obey God. Worship, worship, worship. All worship. All honoring God. And this side of the cross, Christian worship is the only true worship. The holy activity of believers who know how absolutely dependent on God they are. Only believers can truly worship God. We've got to get that straight or we're going to have a warped view of worship. Now let's talk about two things rather quickly, but we will get to that. And then we're going to come to the table. We're going to celebrate the bread and the cup. But the reason for worship, why do we do it? Why? What is it? Look at verse 7 of Psalm 95. 
For he is our God. It's because God is God, and we're not. See, we worship for two reasons. One, because God commands it and encourages it. And the second reason is because God is worthy of it. God commands and encourages it. He says, come. God started all this. He said in Exodus chapter 20, the very first command, you shall have no other gods before me. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. And why? Because he knows that false gods will ruin us. I keep thinking of, in, in the movie, The Lord of the Rings, uh, the first one, The Fellowship of the Ring, that, um, that um, Gandalf, when he's talking to Bilbo Baggins at the very beginning of the movie, and he's trying to get the ring back from him, because this ring has destroyed him. It's the one ring to rule the world, and it was the evil power, and he was trying to get him to, to let it go. And Bilbo Baggins thought he was trying to, to rob him. He said, I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. God's not trying to rob us of joy when he says, you shall have no other gods before me. He knows they're going to kill us. And only life is in Jesus. I sent an email to someone yesterday. I said, I want to know something. Are you a believer in Jesus? Do you believe? And this person wrote back. I went into some detail, but I, the person wrote back to me within five minutes and said, not interested, not interested. And he said this. He said, I believe in, my, in myself and my family, and that's good enough for me. He's worshiping himself and his family. Those are his functional gods. And I, and I wrote him back, and I said, you know what? I respect your, your view. It's It's yours. I just wanted you to know the truth that leads to life. See, Jesus said about himself, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. You shall be free, no longer enslaved. God commands. 1 John 5, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Don't go there. It's active. You've got to be active about it or else you will go. And God is worthy of it. We, verse 7 says, We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. I thought that was kind of interesting. The people of the pasture. It's supposed to be the sheep of the pasture, right? And the people of the hand. It's very interesting. Um, Psalm 100 says it the, the other way. But, um, but the whole thing, he's saying the same thing. We're God's people. We're, we're to be worshiping him. We're made for in his image. Any, any By the way, any Ideas of worship have got to be centered very firmly on the doctrine of the Trinity, the teaching of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He is our maker. We are to give him the glory due his name. He is our God. Robert Sharper, Shaper said this about worship. Ascri it's this. Ascribing all honor and worth to our creator, God, precisely because he is worthy delightfully so. I love that. Delightfully. He's delightfully worthy of our worship. See, God is, is, is both transcendent. I'm going to use two big words on you. I'm sorry. Kids, help your parents again. I've got to remind you. Uh, transcendent and imminent. God is transcendent and imminent. Okay? What does that mean? It means that, first of all, transcendent, that he is independent from and vastly superior to his creation. He's far, far above us. He tri transcends all time and space. But he is also imminent. That means he is near to us. 
His transcendent is reason for reverence and awe. To not be cavalier, to not be casual. And, and I've got a friend that when he prays, a lot of times he'll say, Hey God! And I always think, I just don't know if that's the, the right start of a prayer, that, of reverence, you know. And, but, but he's trying to be his friend, which that, that's part of the, the imminence part. But the, the transcendent parts, we lose that sometimes, especially in our, in our, uh, in our churches today. But he, his transcendent is, is, is reason for reverence and awe. Uh, Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. God is a consuming fire. Therefore, we are to offer to him appropriate worship with reverence and awe. His nearness, though, is reason for rejoicing because we, we can know him and love him and experience him. John chapter 15, uh, 15, verses 14 and 15, where Jesus said, you're my friends if you do what I say. Friend, you can be the friend of God. Acts chapter 17, verse 28. In him we live and move and have our being. He is with us as believers. God's worthy. Last thing, the results of worship. What happens when we worship? What happens when we worship? What, what is it? Does it do, do we just feel good and then leave? Does it just kind of comfort us and uplift? You don't know how many times I have heard people say to me, that was a really uplifting service, Pastor. Not here, though. Not here. Uh, somewhere else. But I, I've heard it uh, uh, other places. Uh, that was a very uplifting service. Well, that's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. But worship is not just to be uplifted. Worship is not just to make us feel a certain way. Because you know what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life also make us feel a certain way. What happens in worship? We are the people, verse 7, we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. What that means is this. Okay, we're in God's pasture, and we're in his hand. So in his pasture, we are under his watchful, loving care all the time. And we're in his hand. That signifies his authority, that we are under his authority all the time. Therefore, the only good response is worship him. Right? So what happens when, when, when we're under his authority and, and his ongoing care? And what happens? He, he produces fruit in our life. And, and let me give you four quick things. First of all, when we worship, we experience delight in God. Experience joy. There are times when I'm just all by myself and I just want to, I just raise my hands to God. I don't even say a word. There's a verse in the Bible that says, let the lifting up of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. If you're so tired you can't say a word, just lift your hands to God. Praise Him. Delight in Him. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the desires that He wants you to have and are good for you and will lead you in the right way. When we worship God, there's this growing delight in God and our vision of God is expanded much like Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6 when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. We delight in Him. And your relationship with God deepens when you do that. And, and guess what happens next? You grow. You see growth in your life. We think that we got to get in the Word, which is true, but we think we need knowledge from the Word. we got a Word and prayer, which is true. God's Word and prayer are the two disciplines in my life that are the most um, foundational. But if those two things are pursued apart from worshiping God, they can be done to, to puff up the mind. They can be done to just to gain knowledge. It's to pray to, to, to 
to, uh, to interact in relationship with God. It's to, to read the word and know the word so we can know the heart of God and the mind of God. And a true knowledge of God leads to true worship of God. So we grow, become more like Christ. Our desire to give honor to God increases. What else happens? We are transformed. We are transformed as we get a glimpse of his awesome glory. Think about Isaiah. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the Lord. I'm toast. But we are transformed. We are shaped. What you worship shapes you. I don't want to walk around looking like a basketball player, <laughs> but I like basketball. Or whatever else you like in life. You don't want to look like that. You want to look like Jesus. You worship Jesus, you're going to look like Jesus. The pathway to growth in the Christian life is through worship. That will lead you to the Word, that will lead you to prayer. We're transformed. And, and the last thing is this, is in God-honoring, Christ-centered worship where it's built solidly on the truth of God's word, God's people are strengthened to do his will. We're going to leave in a couple minutes and we're going to go somewhere and, and you go somewhere that I don't go because we don't all live together. And you got, I've said this before, you got realms you operate in that are dangerous spiritually. You got realms that you operate in where people are anti-Christ. They are against Christ. So when you worship, you are strengthened to do the will of God in those realms. Your home, your workplace, your school, your community, your block. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says that they turned from God, to, from, excuse me, they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They're praising God that that happened. So what happens is, when we are strengthened to do the will of God, we will be completely consumed to do the will of God, and we will smash our idols in repentance. I remember when I was a brand new Christian, and, and, and I'll close. Come, uh, those that are, gonna, uh, that are in the worship team, come back up now if you could. But let me say this. When I was a brand new Christian, I, I smashed my record albums. It was an act of worship. And yes, I regretted it afterwards. No, you know, I, I smashed my record albums. There were some albums I had that, you know, are probably on the top 100 of all the albums in the last 100 years, but they were not God-honoring. In fact, some of them were blasphemous. So I, I, in, I smashed them. I, it, was, it was popular back then. Record album, sorry. Record album. Uh, <laughs> sorry. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? What was I thinking? They're about this big around. They're made out of vinyl. They're like thin, and you could use them like a Frisbee, but you'd get hurt. Um, you used to play them on a thing. I'll tell you about it later if you need to know. Um, let me just say this. Um, I, I smashed them to bits. And God used that at that point in my life to draw me nearer to him. I probably wouldn't do it today. I actually probably wouldn't. But, but it, it was necessary for me to get away from that. Um, those here's what happens when you when you enter into worship and you respond to God appropriately you enter into God's rest now in this psalm that we were looking at just the two verses we looked at today it says that he vowed to the people that, that disobeyed him that they would never enter his rest and Hebrews 
picks up the story. Psalm 95 leaves off and shows how it all comes together in Christ. And that Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, opened up the door for lost sinners to enter into God's rest, which is defined there in Hebrews as ceasing from your works and resting in his, in the finished work of Christ on the cross, which is what this, this table reminds us of. It leads us to worship. See, Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. 